Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Today is Monday, September 30th, 2019. I'm Shannon, and I'm here with Min, Amber, and Natalia, and we are here to discuss some books that showcase the immigration experience. This was actually Amber's idea of an episode topic, and I am super excited to share some of our favorite books centered around immigration. But before we start, I, of course, have the usual housekeeping information for you. You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter by searching Book Bistro Podcast. If you're on Facebook, you can join our listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can also post on our uh, just basic you know, Facebook page. You can send us a mention or a DM on Twitter. You can also send us an email if that's what you would prefer. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. Also, if you're looking for us on the web, you can find us at http, no, https colon slash slash anchor.fm slash book hyphen bistro. So, uh, Amber is going to start us off, followed by me, Min, and then Natalia. So, let's get started. So the first book that I want to discuss tonight is called The Penguin Book of Migration Literature, Departures, Arrivals, Generations, and Returns by Dora Ahmad. What this is, is this is basically a, an anthology of migration literature. It is divided into four sections and is obviously written you know, by a variety of different authors. So the four sections are departures, arrivals, generations, and returns. And it's kind of weird because returns only has like one or two, uh, you know, stories in it. So it's not a very big section. And I really liked this because you get a variety of different immigration experiences, including people who you know, we're going to immigrate and then they decided not to. You have, you know, good, you know, quote, unquote, good and bad migration stories. And I just thought that this was a really interesting look at the migration experience from a variety of different perspectives, you know, including I actually found the generations to be the most powerful and it was from people you know from children whose parents had immigrated I found that the most powerful but there are you know a ton of good authors in this um, you know from a ton of different a ton of different you know countries and experiences and you know what I really liked that this highlighted was that you know, immigration is not just a U.S. issue. It is, you know, people immigrate 
from you know Africa to Asia. They emigrate from one country in Africa to another. They emigrate from Syria to Europe. You know, so it's not just a United States immigration story. So again, my first book is the Penguin Book of Migration Literature, Departures, Arrivals, Generations, and Returns by Dora Ahmad. My first pick tonight is the second novel by Vanessa Diffenbaugh, and this is called We Never Asked for Wings. And it's the story of Letty, who is a woman in her late 20s, very early 30s. And she has two children. Alex is 14 and Luna is six. And Letty has never really been a mother to her children. She had Alex when she was really young and her parents kind of stepped in and took over the parenting responsibilities for both Alex and then Luna when she was born. So Letty just kind of lives her life any way that she wants. Now, Letty's parents are undocumented immigrants and they end up going back to Mexico. They decide that they just don't want to stay in the U.S. anymore. And so Letty is really torn about this. On one hand, you know, she's going to miss her parents a lot. She's also going to miss their, their help. Um, but she's also kind of interested in learning just what it's like to be a, a parent in her own right. So we see her struggles. We also see the struggles of Alex, who is in love for the first time. And the girl that he's interested in is also undocumented. And they are living in this um, kind of small, rundown apartment complex. And Letty would really like to get her kids out of there and get them into a nicer area with better schools. And Alex was originally kind of all for this, but then he started to fall in love. And now he is trying to come up with a way to save the girl that he's interested in from being deported. So there's a lot that's covered here. Um, Diffenbaugh definitely doesn't shy away from some of the tougher issues that face undocumented immigrants. Letty is a difficult character to like in a lot of ways. She doesn't always make good decisions and she is kind of annoying sometimes, but she grows so much over the course of the novel. And I'm just a huge fan of Diffenbaugh's writing. So this, once again, is We Never Asked for Wings, and it is by Vanessa Diffenbaugh. That sounds really great. I have to yeah, I really that. liked it. Her first one is The Language of Flowers, and that is, like, one of my favorite books ever. She has really pretty titles. She does. I really like that, because a lot of titles are just kind of... Yeah. Yeah. Like blah. But <laughs> my first book that I'm going to be talking about is a little bit dry. It's a history book um, <laughs> about <laughs> Alexander Hamilton by Ron Chernow. Um, and oh, this is like a million hours in audio, right? Like yes, it's so or something. I okay to be honest I have not even finished it yet I think I'm like halfway through but I think for this episode 
the part that is really important is the beginning of Alexander Hamilton's life. Um, when, you know, he was born in Nevis, which is an island in the Caribbean. Um, so I think we all know Alexander Hamilton. He is a founding father of the United States and the first secretary of the treasury. And he's you know, been catapulted into the American consciousness by Lin-Manuel Miranda's musical called Hamilton. And this is how, honestly, I found this book and started reading it was because of the musical. And, um, you know, at first, I was just like, this is Alexander Hamilton. He's not that interesting. Um, he was like all money um, focused. But when you start reading this book, I think you can draw a lot of parallels with the immigrant experience, even of today. So Alexander Hamilton was born to Rachel Fawcett um, out of wedlock which, you know, in the 1700s, that made her a pariah. So both of these parents were white, um, but the island of Nevis was part of the British West Indies in the Caribbean. And his mother um, died of yellow fever when he was 12, and that left him an orphan. He had an older brother, but they were separated when this hurricane hit. And so Hamilton was kind of adopted by a trader merchant. And this merchant taught him, you know, how to trade and was just really impressed by his intellect and his work ethic. Uh, when he was 14, um, a hurricane hit the island and Hamilton wrote this really impassioned kind of like really dire apocalyptic treatise on the human experience and how um, this is God's way of getting our attention and so the people of the island were so impressed by his writing that they collected money for him to travel to New York to get an education. His time in New York was rife with, you know, pre-revolutionary war talks of, like between the loyalists and the patriots. So Hamilton matriculated into King's College, which is now Columbia University, um, in 1772, but he didn't get to finish his education because the college had to, had to close down because of um, the rising tension between Britain and the Americas. Um, but in 1782, after the war, even though he had only had two years of college, Hamilton was able to pass the bar and became a lawyer and started practice. So, you know, I really... Not that I related to Hamilton's experience because that was very different in the 1700s, but I think he really embodied the immigrant experience in a lot of ways of 
coming from the bottom, right? Like mm-hmm. he was an orphan. He didn't have family. All he had was his intellect and his wits. And um, he was able to get this education and really became a prominent figure in our history. Um, you know, later in his life, Hamilton was rather xenophobic and was not for immigrants. So, but, you know, there are immigrants today who feel that way as well. Um, But for the earlier part of Hamilton's life, um, I think really shows the resilience of humanity and how we can overcome a lot in order to get to where we need to go or want to go in our life. So this is Alexander Hamilton by Ron Chernow. And it is a history book, so it can be really dry, but I highly recommend you try it out, um, even though the audio is like 42 hours long. So I'm kind of in awe of you right now, (laughs) because I cannot I, I have to be very honest I'm not much of a nonfiction reader and me I, neither That's I can't the thing. Like, I can't quite imagine like picking this up and be like okay this is my next book so the first book I'm going to talk about is about immigration that I'm not familiar with or rather what I mean to say is a different culture from my own because uh the other t- two books I'm going to talk about are about um, Hispanic immigration, which is what I identify with most because I am the daughter of Hispanic immigrants. But I really loved this novel and I loved to um, see the perspective of immigrants from other countries and to see that, you know, even though we have this different cultures, we do have the immigration experience in common. So the first book I'm going to talk about is called The Kinship of Secrets by Eugenia Kim. And this book is about two parents, Najim and, Najin and Calvin Joe. I hope I'm pronouncing their names right. And they have to flee South Korea. And they, they make the hard decision to only, they have two daughters. And they make the hard decision to take one daughter with them to the United States and leave one daughter behind uh, for various reasons, which I will not spoil. And they leave the daughter behind with extended family. You know, it's not like they you know, just leave her. They leave her with their extended family relatives. And, you know, they're, they're going to bring her back when they're able. It, it was a terrible decision for, I'm sure, any parent to make. So what happens? They come to the United States with one daughter and the war breaks out in South Korea. This is in 1948. And think about it. I mean, how were they going to bring their other daughter here with the war? How were they going to get her out of the country? So it's terrible because many years go by and one daughter is here growing up in luxury and suburbia and having all the things, all the things while the other daughter is in South Korea in the middle of war and, and, and struggling with her extended family. And then you have these two parents that love their two daughters, but they don't know, you know, one feels like she's living in the other one's shadow and the other one feels like she was abandoned by her family. So it's called The Kinship of Secrets by Eugenia Kim. It's such a great book. And for me, uh, I mean, I personally know people who have had to make that decision where they have to 
come with one kid and leave one behind or, you know, bring one sister, leave one sister behind or leave one parent behind. And it's, it's something that a lot of immigrants face. And I just thought it was so well told. And, and I feel like everybody's point of view from the people that were here and got the better opportunities to the people that stayed behind was very well covered. So I would really recommend it. It's called The Kinship of Secrets by Eugenia Kim. I really, really loved it. Yeah, no, it was it was a great book. The second book I want to discuss is called Guest House for Young Widows Among the Women of Isis. And this is written by Azadeh Moaveni. This was, I kind of took the idea of the migration experience and the immigration experience and kind of flipped it on its head a little bit. This is actually the story of 13 women. Some are from the US, some are from Europe, some are from other parts of the Middle East. And these are women who migrated and became part of ISIS. There were a variety of different reasons, obviously, that this was done. You know, um, a lot of women talk about, you know, they thought that there was, you know, something else in the world that they should be doing, um, a lot of dissatisfaction, you know, with their lives. Um, it's a very complicated issue of why these women migrated and what actually happened to them. And so I kind of thought that this book was really interesting. It just came out a couple of weeks ago. And again, it talks about, you know, migration kind of going the other way and why women you know, would migrate from the U.S., as an example, or Germany to Syria and, you know, the ISIS regime. So I thought that this was kind of an interesting look at that experience. And again, that's Guest House for Young Widows Among the Women of ISIS by Azadeh Movani. So my next book is, what shall we call it, like, Immigration adjacent, I guess. So this is Internment, and it is the latest novel by mm. Samira Ahmed. And it's set, um, according to the, like the book jacket, kind of like 15 minutes um, in America's future. But basically, it's set kind of in an alternate, a semi-alternate 2016. So Trump has been elected and he is starting to introduce quite a bit of anti-Muslim sentiments into the country. The Muslim ban has been put in place so new Muslims can't enter the country. He then began to ask all Muslims to register themselves. Um, he has put a curfew into place. And so as you can see, some of these things have not actually happened in the world that you and I are living in right now, but we can see how they very possibly could happen um, without a lot of trouble, unfortunately. So our main character is a 17-year-old girl named Layla, and she has grown up in the U.S., the daughter of Muslim immigrants. Um, her father is a poet. Her mother is a doctor, and she has always considered herself to be an American with roots, you know, in, in the Middle East. But now she and her family 
are forced to relocate to an internment camp, similar to those that were used during World War II to house um, Japanese Americans. And Layla cannot understand how her parents and her, her friends, her relatives, how all these people are just sitting by and letting this happen. And she knows that if she wants there to be any change, she is going to have to make that change. So from behind these walls in this internment camp, she begins building a resistance movement kind of from the ground up, mostly made up of teenagers. So Layla is your typical like 17-year-old girl. Um, she acts very impetuously sometimes. And as someone who is quite a bit older than Layla, I, I struggled sometimes to remember that she you know, was a teenager and does not necessarily, you know, know all of the proper like decisions to make. Um, so you definitely can relate to her as a teenager, but it can be difficult sometimes just because you'll think like, wow, you know, you just like landed your family into so much trouble for like this little tiny thing that you decided was so important that you had to you know, break the rules for it. Um, but at the end of it all, Layla is a remarkably strong, passionate young woman who does succeed in making a great deal of change that benefits her and her family and pretty much everyone who has been interned in this camp. Um, and it was just a really incredible read. It's one of those that is disturbing to read because you can see like how close the real world is to the world that Ahmed has created. And you can see sort of that we really aren't all that far away from something like this happening. And it's just a very, very unsettling read and yet so, so very powerful. And I did want to mention it in this episode because of its relevance, not only to this topic, but just to the world that we are so close to living in. So this once again is internment and it is by Samira Ahmed. So this book was published in 2015? No. This came out last year. No, oh, I'm sorry. Last. This came out early this year. But it oh, was it's this set, year. Okay. Yes. So it's set in kind of like, you know, a, sort of an alternate version of like our present. It starts in 2016 and you hear mm -hmm. about Trump being elected. And then you kind of see these things happening. So it's like, you know, 2018 or 19 when the story is actually taking place. Gotcha. Okay. My next book is also another nonfiction book and I have to thank one of my professors in college for forcing me to read this book <laughs> because I absolutely love it and I know you don't hear that a lot when it comes to assigned reading um, but this book is called The Spirit Catches You and You Fall Down by Anne Fodiman and it is focused on the Hmong American experience. Um, so the cool thing about this book is it is a story about a Hmong family and their child with epilepsy, but the way it was written, you also get 
the history of the Hmong as well. So every other chapter is history about the Hmong, um, how they came from China and the American involvement um, in like the Vietnam War and how that kind of forced them to fight for the U.S. in the Vietnam War and how basically their population was really decimated and was driven out. Um, so you learn about their history too, which is really cool. But the story focuses on Leah Lee, um, who has Lennox Gastaut syndrome, which is a really severe form of epilepsy. So Leah had her first seizure at three months old and her parents, Fawa Yang and Nao Kao um, were recent immigrants to the U.S. and they didn't speak English and they took her to Merced Community Medical Center and, you know, the doctor prescribed medication. But in the Hmong tradition, epilepsy is viewed as a good thing. It, it means to them that the child has a lot of spirit, a lot of spiritual connection. So because Leah's parents don't speak any English, they had a really hard time communicating with Leah's doctors at MCMC. Um, actually, they had no mom interpreters at the hospital. So Leah's parents didn't give her, you know, the Western medication and just use their traditional remedies to encourage Leah's spirit to bloom. Um, and so this kind of continued over the next several years until Leah's doctors put her into foster care. So they took her away from her parents and put her into foster care. And that really exacerbated her illness and she had 17 seizures in Ooh. a year and a half and her last one put her into a coma um basically she was in a vegetative state and has no higher brain functioning um so you know leah's story is really is really sad um but I picked it because it kind of demonstrates this struggle between cross-cultural beliefs when it comes to medicine and what is good for the child. Um, and so if they had a Hmong interpreter, I don't know if it would have gone any differently, but at least um, there would have been some form of communication there. And so this book is used a lot in like medical classrooms to stress the importance of cultural competence and learning or knowing about different cultures so that you can communicate effectively. Um, and I know this spoke to me on a personal level because my mom doesn't speak English at all, really. Um, she knows, she understands more than she speaks and she knows sentences and stuff. But growing up when it come, when it came to medical 
things. It was all on me to be responsible for my own health and also hers in terms of like translating mm-hmm. and stuff. So um, this book is older. It was published in 1997, but I think it's still really relevant today. Um, and you know, the history about the Hmong is just really interesting there kind of like a subset of um, the Vietnamese population, um, which I didn't know about until I read this book. And I think it's really worth reading. And it's cool, too, because, you know, we're talking about the immigration experience. um, But this is also about disability as well and how disabilities are viewed in other cultures that aren't as westernized. So this is The Spirit Catches You and You Fall Down by Anne Fadiman. So the next book I'm going to talk about is called The Book of Unknown Americans by Cristina Enriquez. And this is a wonderful, wonderful book. I'm pretty sure that loads and loads and loads of us could relate to. It's about a Mexican family and they're, you know, I would say affluent in their own country in Mexico. Um, they're, they do well. The father has his own business. Uh, the mother is very happy to be a homemaker and they have their only daughter, Maribel. And, you know, she's a typical teenager. But what happens is that in Mexico, Maribel has an accident. And it turns out that she has to come to this country in order to recover. Her family wants to bring her because they feel that only in this country will she have opportunities that in Mexico, as a newly disabled person, she won't have. And so they bring her here and they are, they go, they start from zero. Um, You know, they kind of, they go from being affluent and having their own things in their own country to working at know a mushroom picking plant for 25 cents and so I feel like it's it's super 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 relatable because they they confront all kinds of different biases not only you know the kind of jobs that they can get but also racial cultural ideals and you know even though they end up moving into a building where a bunch of other Hispanic immigrants live like them it's it's not you know the same as is what they are used to, and also uh, there's another boy. His name is Mejor, and he's from a Panamanian family who are immigrants as well. And the two kind of spike up a friendship, but their parents don't want them to be friends for various reasons, which is kind of sad, I think. Yeah. So anyway, this book is called Yeah, it was the Book of Unknown Americans is by Cristina Enriquez, and for me. I just thought it was super relatable about how we, you know, we, we come to this country and we do have jobs that are, you know, paying us a pittance of what, you know, we're used to. And um, it's a good eye opener because I think that a lot of people and a lot of people feel or could think maybe that people who are immigrants that come to this country um, are really poor in their own countries and they come here, but you know, not necessarily. A lot of immigrants that come are doing really, really, really well in their countries and they have money and, and they have houses and they, and they don't actually need to leave. But something happens. Either their country goes into war or like what's happening in Venezuela right now, for instance, or communism or something like this where their daughter had an accident and there's just nothing in their country that's going to help her uh, better her life. 
So I really enjoyed this book and I hope that, that you will too. My last book is entitled An Untamed Land, Red River of the North, book one by Lorraine Snelling. This is kind of outside of the realm of things that I normally read. It is categorized as young adult fiction, but also Christian or religious fiction. I did not find in the first book that the religious fiction, you know, was overly stated. This book actually grabbed my attention a couple of years ago, and this author specifically usually focuses on the Dakota Territory, so what is now North and South Dakota, and usually focuses on the Norwegian immigrant experience in like the 1800s. So this book follows Ingeborg and Karen, and uh, Ingeborg's son Torlis, and they travel from Norway to the United States, and they move to the Dakota, the Dakota Territory. Uh, they move to actually North Dakota, and it follows their lives, um, and, you know, it follows just kind of the hardships they have. Um, you know, it follows how they build community. It follows, you know, how their faith kind of grows and changes. And I really, um, I really connected with these books because my, grand, my great-grandparents actually immigrated from Germany to South Dakota, um, and they probably you know, followed a very similar path to what Ingeborg and Karin and Torlif did, um, probably with even the same amount of faith and, you know, stuff like, stuff like that. So I kind of really, it, it kind of made me think about, like, what my great-grandparents went through. Um, they may, my great-grandparents may have actually migrated a little later, um, but, you know, they were, in the, the Dakotas during, like, the Dust Bowl and, you know, the Depression in, in the 30s, if not before. So this book really made me think of, like, what my grandparents actually, my great-grandparents and grandparents possibly actually went through. Um, and so it kind of really resonated with me. And, again, this book is An Untamed Land, Red River of the North, book one by Lorraine Snelling. So my last pick tonight is Miracle Creek by Angie Kim. And this came out earlier this year. It is um, kind of a mystery, but at its core, it's the story of a family who comes to the United States from Korea. And so it's a husband and a wife and their um, teenage daughter. And they move to this very upscale Virginia suburb and the husband develops a hyperbaric chamber that is supposed to help cure all sorts of ailments and disabilities so people who are having fertility issues can seek treatment here um, children who have autism or other types of developmental delays and basically it's this chamber that looks like a submarine and people go into it and stay for sometimes like an hour and a half and they are given this very um very pure type of, of oxygen that is then going to help 
supposedly cure things that are going wrong for them. Now, this is said to be a very safe treatment and people in this community are, you know, pretty like bound up in this. They, there's a lot riding on it. But when the chamber explodes and two of the patients die, there is this huge uproar, obviously, and everyone is trying to figure out who is responsible for this. So is it like the mother of one of the patients who people kind of think like she's always wanted to kill her son, she's tired of dealing with him, and you know, could she have done something to make this happen? Was it a protester who was trying to say that this treatment was unsafe? Or was it the owners of this chamber who could have been trying to cash in on an insurance claim? And so you don't really know until the end, but you shift perspectives with each chapter. And so you get to know a lot of people really well. Um, you get to know the Korean family who created this chamber. You get to know all sorts of people who come to the chamber seeking treatment. Um, you get to even know like some of the people who are in opposition to this. So you learn a lot about what it was like for these people to come from Korea with this fantastic idea that they really thought could you know, kind of help them achieve what we all think of as the American dream and see it go so very, very wrong um, in a way that resulted in the deaths of two people. Um, it's very fast paced. It's not, I don't know, it's not like a, I don't want to say it's not a serious book because it is, but it's definitely written like a mystery or a thriller as opposed to like a more literary novel. But I think that also makes it more accessible to a lot of people who perhaps don't want to read, you know, either a really dry like nonfiction account or something that is kind of more like couched in literary fiction. Um, I read it in a little over a day. It is utterly fantastic. Again, it's Miracle Creek and it's by Angie Kim. That does sound really cool, and I don't really like mysteries and thrillers. Yeah, I think you might like this one. It, you know, it, it's told around, like, the trial of the mother, um, because that's who they decided to blame this on, and mm -hmm. so you get to see a lot of time, like, in the courtroom, but then you kind of veer off, and you learn about people's backstories, so it's not... It's not a mystery in the sense that, like, you know, a lot of mysteries can be pretty violent and right. it's, it's not like that, but it's, it's kind of a, like a family drama wrapped up in a mystery. My last book for the evening is The Namesake by Jumba Lahiri. Uh, this is her second work, and it's probably one of my favorite books of all time, um, and I'm really glad I get to talk about it tonight. Um, so it is a literary work and, you know, Lahiri's writing is really beautiful. Um, but this book is special to me because I read it when I was a teenager, um, kind of going through my own, um, immigration, I guess, hurdles, challenges, um, because my family moved to the U.S. when I was eight, and no, I'm Vietnamese, and the characters in this book are based around the um, 
the Indian culture or Bengali culture, um, that there were a lot of similar similarities I drew from this and kind of like a lot of solace. So the book begins with Ashok and Ashima Ganguly, who are newlyweds and they are going to the hospital for the birth of their first child. Um, so Ashok and Ashima were um, arranged to be married. Ashok is an engineering student at MIT and Ashima's family really wanted her to go to the U.S. and she really didn't want to. She didn't want to leave her family in Calcutta um, to come to the U.S. but she kind of did her duty and married Ashok. Um, and so the first chapter or so you learn about Ashok and Ashima and kind of like the Bengali custom of naming the child um, between kind of like the pet name and the official name. Um, so the pet name is named that the family gives to the child and it's not really said outside of the family and then there's an official name that goes on documents and um, kind of gives the world the name of the child. So you kind of learn about Ashok's history um, and I don't want to give it away because it is a kind of like a pivotal point in the book um but you learn that Nikolai Gogol who is a Russian author was really instrumental in Ashok's life and kind of giving him the impetus to move to America to pursue this engineering career and so they decide um, Ashok and Ashima decide to name their son Gogol and after this Russian author and they sent a letter to their family in Calcutta to have Ashima's grandmother name Gogol like give him his Bengali name um so you know this book as it goes on you kind of see Gogol grows up um and his parents and their relationship and kind of how they navigate their new life in America um, because in the Bengali custom family is really important that Ashok and Shima don't have family here. So they learn to build a community with other Bengalis um, in the Boston area and um, Gogo grows up and he has to kind of navigate this dual life that he has with being the good son and also being cool and um, learning to assimilate the American customs. Um, and there's like one chapter where you learn that like Gogol goes out and ha goes to parties and does drugs and you know he goes home to his parents and he's like completely different um 
And the book kind of goes through Gogol's life, um, his years at Yale, and then his architecture career, um, and his relationships. But it always comes back to, you know, this dichotomy between um, his Bengali heritage and his American um, upbringing. And this is kind of solidified with his relationship with um, Maxine, who is one of the characters in the book, and her parents are really wealthy New Yorkers, and Gogol kind of got sucked into this lifestyle that is completely different from his reserved, uh, very traditional parents. Um, and there's a lot more to unpack in this book. Um, I wrote many, many essays about this in my English classes. Um, but Lahiri, she, this book is just so great at encapsulating a bunch of different experiences um, when it comes to immigrants. And, you know, this is about Bengali Americans, but it's so applicable to every other community because the themes of leaving your family behind, of change and how to balance you know, two different cultures and having them mesh together really well. Um, and sometimes they don't mesh well, but um, I think this is like a really beautiful story. Um, and it's a book that I think everybody should read. And this is The Namesake by Jamba Lahiri. So the next book I'm going to talk about is by an author that we've interviewed here before, Chanel Cleeton. But the book is so good that I just couldn't have an episode, couldn't be part of an episode about immigration and not talk about it. So this is Next Year in Havana by Chanel Cleeton. And it's about a Cuban-American woman who lives in Miami who goes to Cuba after her beloved grandmother dies to discover, I guess, to learn about her roots. And I really identify with this personally because Although I'm not Cuban, I live in Miami and I grew up in Miami where, you know, I'll, I would say 90% of the Hispanic population that's here is Cuba, Cuban. And, you know, it makes sense. We're only 90 miles away from the country. And I just thought it was such a cool book because um, it's, you know, when we read books about history, we don't get, at least I haven't gotten much about, you know, this era because this is the era of Cuba in 1958 before um, Fidel Castro came into power. So it's very interesting. And, you know, we go, it's kind of like a dual timeline novel, which I know a lot of us like. Yeah. And it's, it talks about the girl in Miami, but it also talks about a 19-year-old Elisa Perez, who's a high society girl in Cuba in 1958, who falls in love with a revolutionary. So you can only imagine, like, how forbidden and star-crossed and crazy that was so if you want to know more about it i don't want to talk more about it because i really don't want to spoil the book but this is next year in havana by chanel cleeton and oh man if you haven't picked it up please do there's a sequel called when we left cuba that just came out and oh my god it's just such such an exciting series and and such an exciting part of history in my opinion that i think is not 
told enough that we, we haven't read about enough, at least not fictional accounts. You know, there are plenty of nonfiction accounts, including one by Fidel Castro's own sister. That's really good. But uh, I just feel like it really um, brings the experience of, you know, an, again, as I said, leaving your country behind, uh, just leaving everything with just the clothes on your back and going to a new place and, where you where you don't know anybody or anything and you know i'm i'm sure that miami miami now is very hispanic friendly but i think back then when this book takes place it there was nothing here so it it must have been really interesting at that time so yeah this is next year in havana chanel Clayton, please pick it up if you haven't it's amazing it is so so excellent excellent book oh my goodness all right. So that does it for us tonight. I want to thank Min, Amber, and Natalia for chatting with me about books relating to immigration tonight. As always, thanks goes out to Christine for her fantastic editing, especially um, today when we had some audio issues. And thank you to each and every one of you who joins us each week for Book Bistro. We hope that you enjoy the podcast as much as we enjoy creating it. If you would like to let us know your thoughts, you can do that by leaving us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or any other platform you use to access the show. And not only does it allow us to see your feedback, but it also helps other book lovers to find us, which is a great thing. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with more bookish fabulousness and some number of us will be back on Friday with more discussion of great books. Take care, everybody.